Hey, good afternoon, Pleasantburg and Greer, CDN Joiner team and family. Hope each and every one of you are well, staying healthy, staying dry, and uh, getting ready for convention here coming up next week. So uh, listen, wanted to come to you real quick with another sales meeting short video, obviously with our move and some other things going on. Sales meetings have been a little wonky lately, but that is going to change. And I'll talk about that a little bit later on in this video. Not going to be a long video today uh, regarding our sales meeting shorts, but uh, did want to go over some more due diligence stuff. You are going to know due diligence better than the back of your hand by the time June 13th runs uh, gets here and we are in a full strict due diligence contract. So let's get started as always with our quote for the day. Ask yourself if what you are doing today is getting you closer to where you want to be tomorrow. And who knows who said this? It's an unknown quote. I have no idea, but it doesn't matter. The point is, ask yourself every day, if what I am doing today is getting me closer to where I want to be tomorrow, that's what I need to be doing. But if what you're doing is not getting you any closer to your goals or doing what you need to do or helping you out in some way for tomorrow, Think about that. Just ask yourself if what you're doing today is getting you closer to where you want to be tomorrow. Hope that rings a bell and uh, resonates with some people. Listen, got uh, some top producers in February for the Greer office. We have Paige Haney, Jill Chapman, and Tammy Graw. Congratulations to all the Greer top producers. Some great numbers in February. And for our Pleasantburg office, we have... Mr. Jeff Meister, Jane Ellison, and Brian Sullivan coming in in the top three. So great job, all of you. As far as our top teams, we have the Spalding Group, the Morgan Group, and the Chet and Beth Smith team. Congratulations to the top teams. Y'all are doing fantastic. The numbers were just great, great, great. So I'm very proud of you. And for those of you out there that a year or under in real estate or obviously with this office specifically, we have our top producers for our newer agents coming in at number one, Shirley Magilton. Great, great job. David Acosta got on the board and Mary Ellen Miner also got on the board. Great job for the new agents. I'm so proud of each and every one of you. So let's talk a little bit about the backup clause. I mentioned this uh, yesterday in our new agent mentor mentee meeting and um was a little bit surprised that uh, some of them have never heard about the backup clause and we find this backup offer clause in scr form 391 it's got a weird name it's called clauses for addendum and on the very first page it's a three-page addendum if you've never seen it never opened it i highly recommend you look in zip forms you look in docusign pull up this document it's three pages long. There's a lot of addendum language that is already written for you and already approved by the state of South Carolina and their legal team. And it's already in a form for you to utilize. But this backup uh, language is right at the bottom of page one. And um, so I get a lot of questions. Uh, you know, what about backup offers or the sellers taking backup offers? Should I do it? Well, I Honestly, I don't see any reason why you wouldn't utilize a backup offer. I hear a lot of agents saying they're putting in a lot of offers, things are getting rejected. But if the buyer really wants a house, there's nothing stopping that buyer from putting in a backup offer. Listen, contracts do still fall out even in this market. Uh, as a matter of fact, just a few weeks ago, by an agent uh, putting in a backup offer on a property, um, 
I'm not going to mention her name, but uh, I am married to her. She put in a backup offer on a property. And three days after it went under contract with another buyer, they lost out. And three, just about four days after that buyer walked. And immediately because she had the backup offer in on the property, they became the primary offer, which obviously made her buyer very, very happy. So my recommendation, if you're putting in a lot of offers, you're not getting anywhere, maybe try some backup offers. Let's let's look at this. Let's let's see what this says. It says this contract, remember you got to write the standard SER 310, uh, regular agreement to buy and sell. This contract, referring to contract 310, if accepted by all parties, shall be a backup, which is non-primary, a non-primary contract contract. This contract is contingent upon all presently pending contracts, meaning the one that they've already accepted, all presently pending contracts not being enforceable and no lawsuits resulting. Okay. So basically in layman's terms, uh, it was under contract, uh, form 518, earnest money's released, everybody's released, the, con the house is no longer under contract whatsoever, and everybody's just going their own way. Okay. Uh, so backup clause stays there until this happens. The contract, the initial contract goes away. And then if any presently pending contracts close or this contract does not become the primary contract by blank time, EST, Eastern Standard Time, on blank date. So by 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, March 15th, 2022, this contract will be null and void with no action required by either party. Any backup contract shall become the primary contract when its earliest date of full negotiated terms is the earliest date of all pending contracts and all previously dated contracts have become null and void, unenforceable or release. So basically, if you get your backup offer in before other backup offers, if the initial contract falls out, they go in numerical order. They go in time and date, uh, time frame. So if you're the first to have a backup offer and then three other backup offers come in, you would become the primary uh, because of the way uh, it's dated and timed. Um, this date, the date, this contract is primary and parties have notice is the backup primary effective date, meaning that contract, the effective date of the contract, once all parties have noticed that the other contract has been terminated and it's unenforceable and everybody's gone their own way, it becomes primary, everybody gets notified, that is the new primary effective date of the contract, the starting date of the contract. If this contract becomes a primary contract, the parties agree that the closing date shall be adjusted or computed by adding blank business days to the backup primary effective date. Now, that's all that this says. And that's enough. It's enough language to have your contract be a backup. Obviously, it's in here for a reason. And then become primary. Now, does that mean you're not going to have to go back and adjust other dates that were in your initial offer? No, it's just computing business days to the closing date. You're you're probably going to, you're more than likely, you're gonna to have to go back and adjust days for uh, inspections uh, or and other dates in the contract. Um, that's very easy to do. Just use form 390, blank, uh, blank form 390, and uh, adjust your days to what date uh, your inspections will be due, what date uh, you want to have the seller respond back, 
and, and things such as that nature. So you may have to adjust some days, but no big deal. Try backups. Who knows? I mean, obviously it just happened. Uh, agent just won with a backup and it made her ha buyer very happy. So definitely give this a shot. All right. So next up on the list, there's a new MLS policy that came out from NAR that any, once NAR creates an MLS policy, all other MLSs across the country that are part of NAR have to adopt the NAR rule. So this policy just came to effect. I'm going to read it in just a second, but I want you to look at what's now on the GGAR website. This is also going to be on realtor.com. Um, it's unknown yet whether Zillow is going to adopt this. Um, the, the, the language that the MLS has provided states that uh, we, me as a broker have to give permission for this information to be on other IDX and VOW websites if we wanted to do so. But I haven't talked to corporate about that yet. Um, uh, but as of right now, the buyer's agent commission and transaction broker commission uh, percentages or amounts, the compensation being offered has now got to be on the MLS website on your listings. And it's also going to be on realtor.com. So you're not going to be able to search the MLS based upon what is being offered to you. That is, that's a no-no. They've said they can't do that. You can't do searchable. You can't set up search fields uh, and have saved searches in there to be able to do that. However, this is now uh, facing the public. I just want everybody to know, when you enter in your listings now, the commission that you are offering buyer's agents is now on public-facing websites uh, as GGAR, as well as realtor.com. And here's, here's the rule, here's what it says. Um, it says MLSs must include the listing broker's offer of compensation for each active listing displayed on its consumer-facing websites, obviously ggar.com, which you just saw, and in MLS data feeds provided to participants and subscribers and must permit MLS participants or subscribers to share such information, though I think that should say through, through IDX and VOW displays or through any other form or format provided to client and consumers. The information about the offer of compensation must be accompanied by a disclaimer stating that the offer is made only to the participants of that MLS where the listing is filed. So if your listing is in Greenville MLS, they're going to have to have, you're going to see the buyer's agent commission and the transaction broker commission on GGR.com as well as Roacher.com. That's the new rule. It's gone into effect as of March 1st. I just want you to guys be aware of that. All right, so do the do. We started talking about this last sales meeting short. Remember, June 13th, we are coming up on a full uh, strict due diligence contract. Repair procedure is going away. The as-is terms are going away, but we're going to talk a little bit about as-is here in this video right now. So let's go. Uh, I, was, I sat in a meeting uh, last week with Austin Smallwood, um, one of the attorneys down at SCR, and he did a webinar for over 500 plus brokers across the state of South Carolina. And um, so the majority of what you're going to see now was directly from his particular training to us as brokers. Now, most likely the same training is going to be done when he goes to the GGAR. I believe he is even coming to our new Midtown office to do uh, due diligence training. 
And so let me just make a disclaimer. If he says something different than I say, um, hopefully that won't be the case. Obviously, I've been uh, one that's been on the forums committee, and I think Austin and I see eye to eye on just about everything possible uh, with this change. But uh, obviously, if he says something different than I do somewhere else, go by what the attorney says if it's relating to the contract or the interpretation. I don't think that's going to happen, but that's just my disclaimer since he is an attorney and I am not. Um, all right, so let's look at some pros for realtors of due diligence. Okay, so very first pro, there's no more debates on which repair option to use to make a stronger offer. I've heard it for years. Oh, in a multiple offer situation, due diligence will never win. Well, I could argue that all day long uh, on the side that it could win, but I'm not going to do that because we don't have to do that anymore. Once June 13th hits, uh, everybody's going to be in due diligence. No more repair procedure, no more as is. There's no more explaining or advising buyers on which repair option is best for them. Okay. There's one. It's due diligence. That's it. That's it. A lot of times, especially when I'm talking with newer agents and I'm giving them instruction or helping them write their first offer, I'll ask the question of, you know, what, does your buyer want to do repair procedure? Do they want to do due diligence? Do they want to do as is? Not that I recommend as is whatsoever, uh, but there's a couple of times where that may come into play. Um, and a lot of times I get the deer in the headlight looks and that's fine, uh, especially with newer agents and because they may not have explained that the way it should have and they didn't know the answer. So we make sure that we uh, help their buyer understand which repair uh, option is right for them. We're not going to have to do that anymore. It's due diligence and it's very, very, very simple. There's only one deadline to keep track of. Obviously, within repair procedure, you got three. You got the date inspections and all your repair uh, requests have to be due, the date and time that the uh, seller needs to get back with you for their re response, and the two calendar days after that to find out whether a buyer uh, wants to terminate, uh, renegotiate, or or accept the, the, the seller's request. Uh, so there's only one date. We've already talked about that. There's no more debates over what operable or structural is. I cannot tell you 50% of my phone calls are about the word structure. What is structurally sound? Okay, that is going away. It's not, we're not going to have to debate over what's operable or structural, which I'm very happy about. Uh, and it keeps you as the agent from practicing outside the scope of your license. Keeps you from practicing outside the scope of your license. Because if you say the words, yes, this is structurally sound, you may be operating outside the scope of your license as unless you have a contractor's license and can actually say that with all sincerity and with all proof and backed up with a license, you can't say that something is or is not structurally sound. So that's going to help. That's a pros for, for realtors, right? All right. Pros and cons for buyers and sellers. Buyers can walk for any reason. That's obviously a pro for a buyer. Maybe a con for a seller. Maybe not. Depends on how you look at it. Glass half full, glass half empty, however you want to look at it. The seller is under no obligation to respond even when an expiration time and date is placed on the form 525, which is the repair request form. Okay. Seller doesn't have to respond. Seller doesn't have to respond right now. Um, and, and due diligence, if you're if you do that. But in the se section eight, there is a required response date by the seller. Now they can say no, but there's no required response date in due diligence because remember there's one time frame. The buyer could have to pay a termination fee. And I put the word could in there. Um, last time I said, you know, it says to put, in order to properly terminate, 
you have to have the notice of termination form 313 and a termination fee. Okay. That's what it says. And now I heard the other day that for the most part, you can have a contract with $0 in the termination fee. Um, I guess it would be and $0. Okay. If you want to really look at it under contract. Now, is that really a good thing to have a no termination fee? Probably not. Uh, that's going to make for a very weak offer. Uh, but the buyer could have to pay depending on if they terminate during the due diligence timeframe and not uh, from one of the other contingencies, financing, appraisal, or termites. Seller could give the buyer a free look if no termination fee is in place. So if you're on the listing side and you see a zero term termination come in, you as the listing agent may want to advise your seller, uh, we may want to counter uh, that termination fee. They put zero in here. You may want to counter it. So you're not just giving a free look, which a lot of people were concerned with in the past. Oh, it just gives a buyer a free look. They can do whatever they want to do. Well, yeah, that's true. But if you got a termination fee in there, it doesn't necessarily give them a free look. There is no longer a distinction between seller paid repairs and other repairs. It is strictly repairs. So we don't have to worry about whether it's a seller paid repair or not found in the nine sections in section eight. Thank God. Okay. So no distinction between that. Here we go. Moving on. So, so some solutions and outcome. So on your repair request, obviously you still use, you're still going to continue to use form 525 to submit your repair request. No change there. Buyers should submit all requests at one time. SCR is saying, do not piecemeal these things. Submit everything at one time so the seller can decide how they want to move forward, what they want to do, what they don't want to do in order to get some uh, time to uh, get some, maybe a contractor, contractor over, get some estimates, submit everything at one time. Don't piecemeal these things over the course of the due diligence timeframe. Um, once form 525 is signed, according to SCR, once form 525 is signed and agreed to by all parties, the due diligence period is over. Once that repair request has been agreed upon and executed, the due diligence timeframe is terminated. There's no such thing as a buyer having everything done two or three days before the due diligence time expires. And, but you have a, you, you've executed a repair request. They say, well, I've got a couple more days. I've changed my mind. Nope. Once it is an executed repair request, the due diligence period is over. So keep that in mind. Some more solutions and outcome. If extensions are needed for the due diligence expiration, create an extension well in advance, well in advance. The buyers may have to terminate at the last minute if parties cannot agree to an extension. If you've been working on an extension and your deadline is tonight at 6 p.m. and, you know, and your parties haven't agreed on repairs, the buyer may have to terminate. Otherwise, it's going to move into an as-is contract. We're going to talk about that in just a second. The contract moves to as is at 6.01 p.m. on the date of expiration if parties do not agree on request by the deadline. That is very clear within the due diligence language. Make sure to build in a cushion date when the repair request expires as to when the due diligence period expires. So as of right now, let me, just, let me explain this. As of right now in a repair procedure, you have a date, let's say March 15th, for all your inspections and repair requests to be in from the buyer. Then let's say March 19th, the seller has to have their response back to you. And then the buyer has two calendar days. Okay. So you need to work your due diligence timeframe kind of like that and say, okay, we need this many days for the buyer to have all the inspections done and get the repair requests in. We need to really kind of build in that cushion date for the seller to have enough time. Okay. To, 
to uh, get uh, any sort of, uh, uh, what am I trying to say here? The like uh, estimates or whatever from a contractor. And then you need to have enough time for the buyer to decide what they want to do. So kind of look at it like that and build in that cushion. So if you have a due diligence time frame of 15 days, roughly, uh, you know, you need to make sure that on your repair request, you make sure that repair request deadline is cushioned. So your buyer has a chance to come back and say whether or not they need to renegotiate uh, with the seller or not. Because remember, you know, one date, I cannot stress that enough, one date to make sure that everything is done and executed and agreed on. All right, let's see. Sorry about that. I just got a phone call. Um, due diligence and earnest money. Let's talk about that just a tad bit. Okay, so this was a this was a warning by Austin Smallwood. Uh, he was warning brokers um, because of some issues that could come up with license law. Okay, so um, you know, in our contract right now with earnest money. You can either give it at the time of offer or you can have it come after the fact, let's say a week after, uh, you know, because they're out of town, earnest money is not going to get there within until a week after the contract is executed. Okay. You can do that in our current contract. Okay. Um, so the contract allows for earnest money to be due by a certain date. Okay. So I want everybody to be prepared to see offers with earnest money being due after the due diligence time is over to eliminate earnest money disputes. Okay. I just want to let you know that I'm not saying whether or not that's a good thing or a bad thing. To me, it really doesn't matter if, if parties want to agree that earnest money will be due after the due diligence period expires. So there's no discussion about earnest money. Cause remember, I cannot stress this enough. There is no automatic anything of return in, of earnest money to either to the buyer even with due diligence. There's nowhere in our contract that says that. There's nowhere in the state law that says that. Earnest money can only be released upon a mutual agreement by parties and upon a court deciding where that money goes, period. That's it, two ways, okay? So what you're gonna start seeing, you're probably gonna start seeing this very early on, due diligence, or correction, earnest money being due right after that due diligence timeframe. So there's no argument about earnest money if somebody terminates and they pay their termination fee during the due diligence period. Okay. So regardless how you want to take that again, I don't have a preference either way. My preference is whatever the buyers and sellers want to agree upon. That's what we need to do because we have a duty of obedience and loyalty under client uh, agency. All right. Reminder, if you as an agent are given earnest money funds, here's where the warning comes in. Okay. Got to explain this. When my, if you as an agent are given earnest money funds prior to the due date, license law still applies and must be deposited within two business days of receipt, regardless of what date is on the contract. So, for example, if if your buyer says, hey, we'll make the earnest money due right after the due diligence period. Here you go. I'm going out of town. Here's my check. Sorry, license law kicks in if that contract is accepted you now have receipt of that earnest money and now it has to be in within two business days. It's got to be deposited into a trust account. So let the seller, let correction, let the buyer handle that. Try not to put your hands on any earnest money because if you receive it, license law kicks in. That was the big warning from SER. It is great information. It's a good advice from them. And I appreciate them giving that, but just be prepared. 
earnest money being due after the due diligence period uh, is, 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 is over. All right, moving on. What about as is? We talked about that a little bit. As is, is going away, right? But it doesn't have to. Some people still want to try to buy property as is, and that's okay. Buyer and sellers agree. If buyers want to buy a property as is, if they want to think that that's going to make their offer stronger, maybe it will, maybe it won't. Not my idea to interpret that. It's up to the buyer and the seller. Just because the as is language will no longer be in the contract does not mean a buyer and seller cannot fall into an as is contract with due diligence. For example, if a buyer wants to purchase as is or seller wishes to sell as is, which we have some of those, set a very short window in the due diligence period. Could be a day, could be two days. Okay. If you want to make a real strong quote unquote as is contract, very short due diligence period, have a, if they want to have it inspected, you can have it inspected during that one or two days. Okay. And then not put in a repair request. Okay. It's simple because a buyer is not obligated. There's no obligation for the buyer to put in a repair request during the due diligence. And if none are in the contract, the contract immediately goes to as is once the due diligence period expires. Okay. You need to adjust your termination fee accordingly. So for example, if you have a buyer that absolutely wants a property, wants to make the strongest offer possible, they're not going to want to ask for anything. They don't care. They want this property. Uh, what was recommended is the termination fee actually be set high, extremely high to show the seller that the buyer is putting in as it, they are stuck to this contract. They want to make it rock solid. So uh, there was even mention about, you know, we've seen uh, due diligence with these type of as is type things during the due diligence timeframe with somebody having a $5,000 termination fee and only like a one or two day due diligence timeframe, have the inspection and they never put in a repair request. The termination fee is never paid because they're moving on. They just wanted an as is strong contract. So be thinking about that. We'll talk a little bit more about that. That's just a little way a uh, little uh, nugget of information to do an as-is contract with uh, during due diligence. All right. So hopefully that gave you some good information on due diligence. I'm almost done. Midtown office sales meetings beginning April 13th. That's the second Wednesday of April. Midtown sales meetings will take place on the second and fourth Wednesday of each month. It's going to be solid. Matter of fact, Jan Bryan has already set up the uh, calendar dates uh, throughout the entire year of 2022. Thank you, Dan. Um, uh, so for, at 10 o'clock, that uh, training room holds quite a bit of people. So we're not going to have any problem with room in there, I promise. So second, fourth Wednesdays of each month from April throughout the remainder of the year, starting April 13th at 10 a.m. And I am looking so forward to that. All right, so our official move-in date at Midtown has been set for March 28th, all right? So by license law, it says if there's any change of address with a licensee that the, um, that the LLR needs to be notified within 10 days. So I've already done this. I've already taken care of this for us. I've already got an email scheduled uh, that's going to automatically be sent at 8 o'clock on March 28th, letting LLR know that our office address has moved to 1016 Woods Crossing Road. Um, I've already spoken with Commissioner Atkinson about this. He just said, just send it to me first thing on Monday morning and we will handle everything here on our end. You guys will not need to do any sort of change of address with LLR that I'm taking care of all of that. Once I put in that documentation, they will change everybody address, everybody's address and every one of you will get a new pocket card. 
All right. So I just want to let you know that's handled for you. Don't worry about it. We got you covered. But the official move-in date is March 28th, 2022. All right. That's it. We're just shy of 28 minutes and 30 seconds. So I appreciate you. Thank you so much for listening and watching. And uh, listen, if there's anything I can do to ever help you, obviously, you know where I am. You know how to get a hold of me. Text, email, phone call, carrier pigeon. I don't care what it is. And I will make sure that I take care of anything that you need me to take care of. Have a blessed day. Take care.